0: guys, Jim Cox, and I'm here today with an interview with Gail Eisnitz. She is the author of a book titled Slaughterhouse. Um, I saw somebody had posted um, some comments about her book, which was actually done a number of years ago, and it hit me in the face like a two-by-four, honestly, and it really kind of moved me. I reached out to her, and she's kind enough to chat with us about her work. So, Gail, thanks for taking the time to chat today.
1: Oh, sure, Jim. It's my pleasure.
0: Awesome. So, tell us a little bit about your background. Um, How did you get involved in animal rights and particular uh, this book uh, that you wrote, Slaughterhouse?
1: Well, it's a long story, but I'll keep it as short as I can. Um, Basically, I saw a television documentary on PBS when I was like 12 years old and it was about endangered species and um, it had such a profound impact on me that I went uh, in that direction just from one little TV show. I went to college and I studied natural resource conservation because I wanted to save endangered species and it was my life's goal to do that. And um, I tried to get a job with the animal protection organizations in Washington, DC, which was really hard at the time because it was just a a small field back then. And um, I wasn't able to, so I started illustrating endangered species and writing stories about them. Mm. And uh, one of the endangered species I illustrated was a baby bald eagle for an Audubon bird watching magazine. And an exterminator came into our house, the house I was sharing with some women at the time, and sprayed over the bald eagle, sprayed right over the bald eagle and destroyed it. So I wrote a story about the decimation of the bald eagle from DDT and compared it to the exterminator. And the article appeared in the New York Times. Wow! So after that, I wrote several stories for the New York Times. And once I had done that, I was able to get into the into the uh, field of animal protection. So I worked for a few different animal protection organizations in Washington, D.C., and eventually I ended up at Humane Farming Association, which is headquartered in California, mm-hmm. but I work, I work out of um, my home in North Carolina. So that's that's the long and short of it.
0: Gotcha. So how did you get to the um, point of writing, like what is Slaughterhouse about? What, how did, what's the genesis of that book? And when was, when was that done? Was that in the nineties or the two thousands? Yeah, uh,
1: it was done in the late nineties and updated in the two thousands. Um, I was a writer for the Humane Society of the United States at the time. And, uh, and I, I ended up being an investigator which is what I really wanted to do. And I received many complaints about many different things, but one complaint, and this will probably upset your audience, (laughs) was about a slaughterhouse in Florida where the animals, uh, the the law requires animals to be rendered unconscious before they're slaughtered and butchered. And at this slaughterhouse, the animals were having their heads skinned while they're still fully conscious. Oh my God. Because they weren't being properly stunned so I ran down to Florida and documented that. And then I got another case in the Midwest where pigs were not being properly stunned and were being immersed into the scalding tank alive, which is used to dehair them. And then it just went from there. I just went all across the United States documenting violations of federal law and inside USDA inspected slaughterhouses.
0: So these are inspected slaughterhouses and, were there laws, against, there was laws against treating animals this way and yet there was no enforcement? Is that kind of what you found?
1: Yeah, I, I, I found out, I ended up working with the union that represented the federal meat inspectors and they were extremely helpful. Mm. They were the individuals who were charged with enforcing the Federal Humane Slaughter Act and they were supposed to be stopping the production line whenever violations occurred but they told us that their hands were tied. They weren't allowed to stop the line because their job entailed them looking at animals before slaughter in the pens and animals after slaughter when they look at their body parts and their carcasses. And they never went onto the kill floor to see what was going on.
0: Who decided, who decided that kind of area of engagement? Was that in the law or was that something handed to them by? the people that they were supposed to be monitoring?
1: Uh, No, the law requires, gives authorizes USDA meat inspectors to enforce the law. So that's
0: anywhere. Yeah, yeah, that's
1: across the board. It's just that their supervisors in Washington DC and the regions didn't want them stopping production because the USDA is in bed with the meat industry and they don't wanna slow down production. Um,
0: The The people that stopped them, were they political appointees?
1: Yes, they were political appointees or just individuals that came from the revolving door of the meat industry. Gotcha. Both, both.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. But the the important thing is that the production line speed, the line at which the animal, the speed at which the animals are slaughtered is like the holy grail in the meat industry. Hmm. The line speed just goes so fast because we've seen, um, thousands of small to mid-sized slaughterhouses have been forced out of business by this handful of these huge mega high-speed slaughterhouses. And these, uh, these slaughterhouses operate at such high speeds, that they kill more than a million animals a year. And they have to keep that production line going because if you stop it, you lose hundreds or thousands of dollars for the very short time it's stopped. And um, just to give you a perspective, one plant I visited in North Carolina killed 180,000 hogs a week. And I think that number's increased since then. Mm -hmm.
0: So
1: we're talking really high-speed production speeds.
0: Do these high-speed operations also carry, you know, a lot of risk for the humans that are there doing the processing? Like, are there a lot of health issues that arise from-
1: Yeah, worker injuries, really- Worker injuries, yeah. Really bad worker injuries, carpal tunnel uh, disorder, which is a, uh, a repetitive motion illness, um, has increased dramatically in the last few years. And, um, the people that I talked to and I, I interviewed for my book had lost limbs, fingers, they'd had breasts caught in machines, oh they'd God. been burned, stabbed, killed, or dropped dead on the line. And um, we've just seen cumulative trauma disorders increase so dramatically in the last 25 years. Um, and it's really disturbing because workers were treated so bad, so badly, by the plants, once they were physically ruined, they're basically fired and left incapable of ever working again, so.
0: What happens to them then?
1: They just become wards of the community. I mean, they just, m- m- many of them are not even legal, legal citizens, so they can't mm-hmm. even collect uh, workers' That's
0: comp. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, I would imagine from what you've seen too there's probably a lot of stress disorders post traumatic you know seeing or I you know in one of the things that I read in your book is you could like the sounds of the slaughter and the screams of the animals must be terrifying and just haunt people i mean
1: I don't know. I think the workers that I interviewed, and I I interviewed many, many workers, Mm -hmm. a lot of them um, became desensitized to that. Really, And and it came out in really bad ways. It's like they abused their spouses, they became alcoholics, things like that. So, uh, but they didn't uh, feel the feelings that they should have that would have kept them from doing the job. One worker who who was uh who had a a pig come up and nuzzle him then he had to beat him to death with a lead pipe ended up realizing it he ended up in Alcoholics Anonymous which was great and he absolutely quit the job and became a nurse registered nurse so if you realize it you get it out Mm -hmm. and a lot of the workers are are um from uh non-English speaking countries Mm -hmm. and uh they just uh are used to bad conditions and they just do the job uh to get the paycheck to send back to their families in Mexico and and Central America and places like that so they're not they're not so much like the alcoholics and um drug abusers that I talk to. They're more just like focused on doing a job to get money to their families.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, this was, uh, like you said, uh, the book first came out in the 90s and then updated in the 2000s. Um, Do you still do this research to try to um, stay on top of it? Or have you retired or like what, are you still connected to the issue?
1: I'm sort of connected to the issue. I do I do other issues now. I'm I'm more interested in factory farms and what goes on in inside these operations where they raise the animals.
0: Okay. But um
1: fortunately we had a front page story in the Washington Post that resulted from my work mm. and that enraged Congress, and Congress put more money well money, not more money. There was no money going to enforcement of the Humane Slaughter Act. So they actually allocated funding to enforce the Humane Slaughter Act, which had been on the books since 1958, but they had not had been zero budgeted for all those years. And wow. so they put money toward it. And there's more of a focus on actually sending inspectors into the blood pit, but the violations still occur. I mean... <laughs> I could go on and on about the violations, but that would probably make your listeners shut your podcast off.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know. I mean, well, I mean, part of the reason for the podcast, though, is to understand what is going on around us and, you know, feel empowered by not having to continue having it the same way. Right, and part of that is knowledge. So, let me let me ask you though, like, how has this affected you? I mean, I have to imagine that in some ways you've been affected by the trauma that you've seen, that you've lived through all of the. I mean, how many decades have you seen and observed and heard and experienced this? Yeah, it must be bad.
1: It's been a long time, and it did have a a profound effect on me. I um. I like your podcast so much because you talk about feelings and spirituality and all, all those issues, which are so important to me. Um, but it first, when I was working at the Humane Society of the United States, I had a really bad boss and he's now in jail for life, life sentence in jail for child trafficking of a minor but he was a really bad boss. (laughs) He wouldn't let me expose my slaughterhouse findings. Hmm. I, I knew all this terrible stuff and he wouldn't let me expose them. So it came out sideways in me. I, I, um, I, I got breast cancer. So that was how it came out back then. Um, but fortunately I survived that, which is fantastic. And, um, came out in other ways. I had a lot of somatic problems, mm-hmm. like stomach aches and, and things like that. And I also had um, a problem with seeing straight. I couldn't see straight. <laughs> that's how it came out. It just came out that way. But it turns out that I recently found out what that's all about. And there's an ideological reason for that. It's a neurological problem but um, it's great to know and understand and then I can continue working for the animals. I'm not one who is in touch with my feelings as much as I would like to be.
0: So, well, I mean, that, that obviously is part of trying to continue to deal with it because if you, I mean, obviously if, you're, if you let it control you then at a certain point, your body's gonna just say no, no more. And, you know, just not be able to do what you've been able to do. And, you know, in terms of, you know, trauma manifests in the body, like even if you you think it doesn't, you know, it, it lurks in the background, you know, working and, you know.
1: It does, it's so true. I, I so appreciate that question because nobody ever asks me that but it definitely came out sideways and um this uh visual snow syndrome which i have which is the neurological problem which makes seeing things confused sometimes was exacerbated dramatically by being in the midst of animals being skinned and dismembered alive and me trying to stop it i'm much better now because i'm not dealing with yeah that much stress
0: Yeah. I mean, literally your brain is trying to scramble your vision so you don't see it.
1: Right.
0: Wow. So let me ask, you mentioned spirituality. So how does spirituality fit into like the work that you do? Well, a connection or
1: um, what was that?
0: Do you see a connection?
1: Oh, um, I just know that I have to, I have to have a, a spiritual program in order to continue doing what I'm doing, and um, I've been in a 12-step program for many, many years. Um, usually, they're for alcoholism, and it is it it is it's Al-Anon, which is a program for friends and family of al- of alcoholics. But there was no alcoholism in my family, but I was an alcoholic magnet. <laughs> gotcha. So I, um, I've gained a lot from being in that program. It mm-hmm. it really, really grounds me and puts, puts me in touch with the realization that I'm not in control of the universe, which I used to think I was.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's good. That's good. So one of the things that's transpired, I know, like, there's been so much, it seems like there's been so much progress in the last two years, you know, with the advent of companies like Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods kind of pulling people away from, like, actual meat into, you know, um, plant-based uh, diets. But also in California, there have been laws about animal um, animal rights um, in terms of Um, how they're treated and so forth, raised. And and do you know anything about that or have you played a role in those efforts or?
1: Yeah, um, I do. Uh, But but just to clarify, when we say there's so much progress, there is like with with Beyond Meat and Impossible Burger and stuff like that. But um, there is... We are exporting our consumptive ways to to developing nations. It's just tragic. It's Mm. absolutely tragic. Um, In uh, 1965, we slaughtered 10 billion farm animals a year in the world. Mm. And now we're slaughtering 88 billion farm animals a year in the world. So progress is good, but we are just We're behind the eight ball because there's so much that needs to be done. As far as that law in California goes, it's a step in the right direction in some respects. But we were kind of disappointed with it. And we, we opposed part of it because it gets laying hens out of cages, but it legislates that they only have one square foot per bird. So that was a big disappointment to us
0: gotcha they
1: need more than one square foot feet so but
0: yeah i thought it was more impactful than that uh i i think i read a story where they were worried that they're not going to be able to find bacon you know yeah yeah that's going to meet the the requirements and i'm like well that's tough you know yeah
1: they'll they'll find bacon that that's not going to be a problem and and it is to get, it is good to get those um those uh sows those breeding hogs out of the gestation crates where they spend their entire lives. So that is a good part of that um, law. Um, I can tell you a little bit about sows in the gestation crates. If, yeah, please. Well, breeding sows, which weigh between four and 600 pounds, spend their entire lives inside gestation crates, which are from 19 inches wide to two feet wide and seven feet long, and they can never walk or turn around or do anything. They basically go, I mean, they go clinically insane. They do, they start um, exhibiting stereotypic behavior, head nodding, bar biting, all sorts of things because they, They lose their minds in those conditions and that's how hundreds of millions of sows spend their entire lives so
0: that's crazy and and for a lot of people aren't aware but i mean pigs are actually sentient beings i mean they have they exhibit emotion they exhibit affection they're intelligent so it's not like you're dealing with an amoeba you know these are thinking feeling Creatures that deserve much more.
1: Right. <clears throat> they say they're smarter than dogs. Not that it matters, because everybody's got their own their own abilities. But um, in these in these hog factories where these these sows are kept, the um, they produce offspring. They just take them away from them right away, and and there was. One hog factory that we got um, was forced to disclose its mortality records because the conditions inside the hog factories are so hostile and disease promoting. This one hog factory that we that was forced to, to um, disclose its mortality rates had 420,000 dead pigs in a year. That's 48 pigs dying every, every hour, 24 seven.
0: How many pigs uh, were in the factory itself?
1: You know, I don't know exactly. I don't know exactly, probably a couple million. Wow. That's a great question. I should have the answer to that. But it's just to give you an idea that yeah. the conditions are so stressful inside these hog factories. The um, They call it thumping. When they see a, uh, a piglet that's not doing well, they pick it up by the hind legs and Whirl it over their shoulder and thump it to the concrete floor. So thumping is like the standard practice for for destroying uh, wean, weaned pigs that are, um, can't think of the word, like, like Wilbur and Charlotte's Web, the, um, the ones that aren't considered doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, can't think of the name mm-hmm. of that, but.
0: That's okay what um so you're with the humane farming association now is is the, is that the name of the organization uh-huh so what what does that organization do like what are what are you guys' goals
1: well we do a little bit of everything we we um We have 270,000 members. We operate- Is this
0: nationwide or in the particular place? Yes. Okay.
1: It's nationwide. We operate the largest farm animal sanctuary in the country. It's just beautiful. It's in Northern California and so many animals have been rescued and live out their lives there. It's just wonderful. Hmm. And um, we do investigations, legislation, We run ads in magazines and newspapers about these issues. We do all sorts of things to bring attention to, you know, some of these violations of state and federal laws, cruelty Mm -hmm. laws.
0: So is there a particular focus in terms of like, what are, what can be accomplished right now in different areas in terms of, in the, in the, and laws, like, is there an effort to rewrite certain laws or to create new laws for certain purposes uh, in terms of your efforts right now?
1: Well, um, Senator Cory Booker has a Farm System Reform Act, which mm. is a, a really good bill in Congress. Um, it's to sort of uh, get rid of factory farms by 2050. Wow. And that's an that's a ambitious, proposal. Um, But we're working um, against the Livestock Indemnity Program, which is a program at USDA that reimburses farmers for dead animals who die as a result of weather, uh, bad weather. Um, In other words, like um, a few years ago, there was a storm in South Dakota, and 100,000 cows died. And so the farmers just get reimbursed for that. Uh-huh. And, um, and a few, uh, couple, I guess it was 2015, there was a winter storm, Goliath, in uh, New Mexico. And I think it was New Mexico. And they lost 40,000 dairy cows and calves who smothered in the snow. Mm-hmm. And farmers just get reimbursed for that. It's like there's yeah. no incentive to provide the animals adequate shelter and care. So yeah, we there were, was um, um,
0: there was the uh, hurricanes in South Carolina that hit South Carolina a couple of years ago, and one of the I remember one of the big things was just as the waters rose, the uh, areas where they held the pigs just. They ended up drowning everything yeah, you know, because right. they didn't even bother to attempt to extract them from from the facilities
1: right and and there's there's virtually no incentive for the farmers to protect their animals because they just get a, a paycheck from the government our tax dollars at work uh-huh. so that's really unfortunate we're working with um, in Congress to get a requirement that the Producers have to have disaster preparedness plans before they get the reimbursement check.
0: Mm So I would imagine that's the kind of thing that would be covered by some sort of an insurance policy that they would have to pay for. You know, it's like right. It's
1: it's the government's brand of insurance.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely would be a positive change.
1: Yeah. So we're working on things like that. I'm particularly interested in uh, working on animals freezing to death in transport because each year when it gets really cold or hot, large numbers of hogs die in the heat when they're being transported. And they're just um, taken off the truck. They're never tagged. They're supposed to be tagged by USDA that they died, and they're just not tagged, and they're just rendered. They're just chopped into pieces and put down the rendering hall like solid like blocks of ice hmm. so you know things like that working on all sorts of different things
0: good good yeah. um I mean there's there's so much work that needs to be done what would you what would you say if you were able to corner President Biden and you could say what's one thing that you can do that would make a difference in terms of not just animals' lives, but people's lives? Like what's the one thing that you could do policy-wise that you would want him to do?
1: Well, interestingly, um, under Trump's administration, they took away the 1,106 hogs per hour slaughter line speed and so that they could, so that these high speed slaughterhouses could run at whatever speed they wanted to, which is ridiculous as if 1100 hogs an hour isn't enough per line.
0: Yeah, that's too slow.
1: <laughs> but um, I think that's that's been challenged in court. And what I would say in terms of slaughterhouses is, is to tell President Biden to slow down line speeds. It would help, it would help uh, workers considerably. And it would also protect animals from being improperly stunned and having their body parts removed while they're still fully conscious.
0: That's good. It makes a lot of sense. Um, Gail, if people want to learn more about the work that you do and, and catch up with you, how can they reach out to you? Uh,
1: they can reach me at an email address, which is HFA as in Humane Farming Association. So it's HFA at HFA.org.
0: Very good. Um, I appreciate your taking the time to chat today. And, you know, as things develop, maybe we can talk again, uh, especially about some of these other legislative hopefully successes that we can have in the coming years. So. Yeah.
1: Well, thanks so much, Jim. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for sharing your stories. And thank you for doing everything that you do to bring awareness to this, because it's obviously if we, if people aren't aware, nothing's going to change. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you.